I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Okay. Hi, you're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the girlfriends, the groupies, the wives, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They're sweet, sexy, and powerful. They ran after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Today with me, I have my friend Lynx O'Leary. She is sitting across from me with her beautiful smile and her beautiful purple violet hair yeah (laughs) and we are going to talk about Marianne Faithful today so what's going to be different about this episode is that I'm not going to be the one telling the story the summer when I had Marianne Faithful's book in front of me I just never really got around to reading it I would pick it up and then I put it down and pick it up and I put it down and I just didn't get around to it so I sent out a message to all of my dolls and I said who wants to come over and tell me a story about Marion Faithful and all signs pointed to Lynx. That's correct. (laughs) So Lynx I'm going to introduce you in just a moment but before we get into that I need to do a little bit of corrections. So last week on the podcast my friend Sam Murdoch came over and we recorded an episode after his after he played a show after we went and got food so it was very 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 late and my brain is not great at that point. So one thing that I had said about my friend Corey was when um, Sam would call her up to the stage and he wouldn't play until she got there. I, I think I repeated like five times that Corey was outside smoking. And I think I might have said like, yeah, Corey was smoking a lot in those days. And I just, in her defense, want to say 
we all were okay it wasn't just her i'm sorry that i said that Corey. um i should have just said she, she was outside getting some fresh air but you know what we we had our little uh our little rebellion stage then and i'm, I'm sorry girl didn't mean to tell the world that you big smoky smoke um one thing that i also said was patty boyd wasn't a groupie i told because i was trying to tell sam the difference between groupie and and muse and how groupie is just definitely not a bad thing and uh then i somehow said that patty boyd wasn't a groupie but i mean she went on vacation with john and cynthia and she went to parties with eric clapton and everyone you're hanging out with groups of musicians groupie Mm-hmm. Groupie and Muse sort of people like they go together. It, you, I don't think you can be a Muse without being a Groupie as well, but I think you can be a Groupie without being a Muse. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Okay, see, she we're already three minutes into it, and Lynx <laughs> is just hammering it down. Fantastic. Um, and then the one other thing that I want to say before I give you a proper intro is that um, I was going to put some music into the podcast, and so I was just sitting around and fiddling with it. And um, I talked to this band called Swim, that's capital S. Uh, W-I-M-M it's all capitals and they are in LA right now I think they're originally from Florida and I met them in Toronto last year when they toured with Bright Light Social Hour who are from Texas and then after the show uh, they said to my roommate and I you know we've never been here before you look like you know what to do on a Thursday night where should we go so we went out and we played pinball and it was great they just released a song called Groupie Oh, yeah. Perfect. I think the video is coming out tomorrow, too. So I, I uh, sent him a text message and I said, do you mind if I play your song um, or like a part of your song on the podcast? And I was like, go for it. Yeah. So thank you, Chris. But then I realized like I'm really lazy and I don't have a producer and I'm really busy and I might not. I might put it in. I might not put it in. It's kind of Undecided. And and it was a crazy weekend. So if that doesn't end up happening, I don't actually put it into the show. Everybody should just go and check it out and uh, listen to the song and watch the video Groupie by Swim. Awesome. I'm going to do that later. Yeah. Um, okay. So links. I'm going to give you your proper intro. Um, and you told me that links is your real name. It is my real name, yes. Um, just one second. So, Lynx. Lynx O'Leary. She is a writer, a lifelong music fan, a book reviewer, and you can find her hundreds of book reviews on uh, Goodreads. I first met Lynx. We kind of met online because it was through Miss P's Toronto Dolls group. Mm -hmm. Um... And then we met in person a few weeks ago when we had the writer's workshop here. Yes, it was fantastic. Uh, It really was. And you actually started the Toronto group. Yes. um, I wrote Miss P um, about five years ago. Um, Me and a friend uh, had created a community on LiveJournal called Vintage Groupies. And it was sort of through that that I got the courage to write Miss P herself and just be like, hey, I'm an avid uh, groupie fan and 
uh, I hear you're doing these writing classes and I would love to be a part of one. Like, have you ever considered coming here? And she said, I'd love to. Um, I don't know if there's enough women out there who would be interested. Um, if you can find, you know, eight to 10 girls who are interested, uh, let me know. And so I sort of put the word out to all my friends who were into the whole groupie scene and was were in love with uh, Miss P. And we kind of spread out and we got enough and it ended up being like over 20 girls there. It was incredible. When I found out that this group existed, I was floored. I was so excited. So I went for the first time two summers ago mm-hmm. and um, it's been life changing and meeting the girls in the group have been. And I know I talk about it almost every single episode, but it's truly one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Just everyone is so supportive and loving and uh, talented. Like every person in this group like brings something special it's it's an amazing community yeah Uh, it's great to see it build each time uh miss p comes back as well it's a really great mix of people yeah it's fantastic Mm -hmm. are you having a good weekend uh yeah yeah it's been uh quiet which (laughs) is lovely just reading a lot and sort of hibernating good yeah (laughs) good yeah I'm really excited to just uh I've got curlers in my hair because I'm gonna go do a photo shoot later for the podcast which is gonna be my first kind of official um photo shoot which will be fun because I've done everything myself I've done Mm. all the photos I've done everything so this will this will be great that's exciting I started off my weekend pretty rock and roll facetiming with um the sweetest and most handsome young man in Liverpool yeah so hello (laughs) hello to you and I uh, went and saw a show last night, and now and now we're here. Had had breakfast with one of my favorite East Coast rockers, and now here we are. And I'm ready to learn about Marianne Faithful. Uh, that's great. I, I did my homework. I, li- yeah. I listened to the two songs. Great, great, great. We're going to get to that in a while. Okay. Um, first, I want to say I was thinking about... Um, how I got into groupies and all of that. And I thought it was really funny that I happened to be the one talking to you about Miriam Faithful because I believe I was about 11 or 12 and I was really into the Rolling Stones. And that was like just when the internet was sort of evolving into what it's become. And I would search for photos of Keith and Mick and <laughs> and I came across photos of them with Marianne and Anita Pallenberg and I was like who are these women like how did they get to be there for all of this and it was sort of through them that I became fascinated with groupies and muses and I think uh, Marianne's was actually the first uh, autobiography I ever read of a groupie and it's it's amazing that I'm here now. I know almost nothing about her. Well, <laughs> you prepare yourself. She has got a fantastic story. It's crazy. You're in for a shock, but a good one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, she was born in 1946, had um, a pretty normal childhood 
raised by her mother, who was a little bit eccentric. Um, her real like rock and roll story doesn't begin until she's 17. So let's good age. Yeah. Well, we're going to start from there. So she's 17. She's dating a man named John Dunbar, who um, would become somewhat well known in the London scene. I believe he's owned some art galleries and things like that. Um, he was friends with Peter Asher, who happens to be Jane Asher's brother. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were invited by Peter to come to a record release party of some pop star. So they go to this party. Um, this happens to be the first time she sees Mick Jagger. Uh, he is, he's at this party. He is at the time dating Chrissy Shrimpton and they're having a massive row in front of everyone at the party, which apparently was not too unusual a sight in those times. <laughs> so she caught sight of him, thought he was just an idiot. <laughs> She's 17. Yes. Okay. Um, but... Mick Jagger isn't the only Stones person at this party. Um, Andrew Luke Oldham was there. He was a major player in the Stones history. He produced a lot of their uh, records. Um, He sees Marianne, looks at her across the room, and sees, quote, an angel with big boobs. Okay. (laughs) And he walks right over to her and is like, I need you. I need to sign you. Like, you're, you've got something. <laughs> so. Sure did. Yeah. <laughs> so within a week, she's getting telegrams from him being like, come to the studio. Let's do something here. So she goes to the studio and they just start recording some songs. Nothing's really working. Until um, Andrew decides, hey, why don't you play As Tears Go By, which just happened to be a song that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards had recently written. It was their first song that they actually wrote together. Um, They were only uh, covering songs at that point. Um, And Andrew's actually responsible for them starting to write. He He told them, like, go... You need to start writing your own stuff if you want to make it big. Like, get in there and make your own material. Like, so she sings this song. It's perfect for her. Um, records it. A little rock and roll trivia here. Um, Jimmy Page happens to be the studio guitarist. Yes. On that. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. So he just asked her then to go in and start recording a song based on her big eyes and her big boobs. Yeah, correct. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a good thing she could sing then, right? Yeah, and uh, just crazy opportunity knocks, and she just was like, "Yeah, might as well," right? So. Just like that, she's got um, a hit record, and she begins um, touring. And back then, they did like these pop tours where all the pe- all the people who had singles out would kind of tour together, even if they didn't really mesh well. Okay. Um, it's on these tours that her first sort of groupie experiences start to happen. She ends up having little affairs with. 
Jeremy from Chad and Jeremy, uh, Alan Clark from the Hollies, and Gene Pitney, who A Town Without Pity apparently is a great lay. Oh. <laughs> yes. Juicy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because she's with Andrew uh, with producing and everything, she's sort of seeing the stones here and there. Um, but yeah, mix with Chrissy, but he's a massive flirt. She's not having any of it. She's like, no. She's still hard to get. She's still with John Dunbar. So they are in a pretty serious relationship and she gets pregnant. Oh, no way. Yes. And um, Dunbar proposes. And um, a week before they were planning to get married, uh, Bob Dylan came in town. He's staying at the Savoy. Marianne, like every woman, uh, is like in love with Bob Dylan and listens to his records just constantly. And it's so special, like just listening to his lyrics, reading into his lyrics. So she goes and she's got her eyes set on him. Uh, Who cares that she's pregnant and you know, engaged. <laughs> I think he was it's, away. It's Bob Dylan. It's, exactly. All bets are up. <laughs> so she goes, it's like a big party there for two weeks. Um, she spends most of it talking to Allen Ginsberg, really not talking to Dylan. She's too terrified. But over the course of a week or so, um, she starts hearing from other people at the, at the party that Dylan has a thing for her. Yeah. And, uh, she hears that Dylan's writing her this love letter and she's like getting more and more anxious and nervous and everything. And then finally the day comes when they're all alone and uh, Dylan's like, do you want to hear my new album? She's like, yeah, yeah. And it was bringing it all back home Mm. and they put it on over and over again and they sit there and Bob Dylan goes over each, uh, each song, each lyric, and like tells her what it's all about and just deciphers it all for her. It's like this perfect rock and roll moment. But as he's doing this, she's getting more and more terrified. (laughs) She's still like 18 at this point. So um, they're about to like get it on. And she's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. She freezes up. Oh, Marianne. Yeah. And then Dylan gets really upset, and uh, she's like, well, I'm pregnant and engaged. (laughs) And he just has, like, a temper tantrum, and apparently he ripped up the love letter and kicked her out. Because he couldn't just have what he wanted when he wanted Exactly. Oh, Bob, I would have hoped for more from you. Even these amazing rock gods are just flawed humans underneath you know scared the ego shattered just oh yeah i'm doing uh bowie next week can't wait oh, to yeah. get into that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after that experience marianne is like all right well i'm gonna get married i'm gonna have my baby um they do she's 18 when they get married john dunbar's 22 uh they have a son named nicholas um Catherine james had a child Really, really young, young as too, well. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty soon after this that the whole um, 
60s housewife suffocation begins where she realizes John Dunbar just wants a housewife, uh, not a pop star, not someone who's going to be smoking hash and having fun like he is, you know, uh, do as I say, not as I do type of situation. And Marianne, that's not the life she's destined for. So she starts rebelling and her way of rebelling is going out and uh, partying with Keith Richards and Brian Jones and Anita Pallenberg. Um, And it's in this time that she becomes best friends with Anita. Uh, She's dating Brian Jones at the time. Okay, I was going to say, was she dating Keith? No, not quite yet. Okay. Um, Apparently, her and Brian Jones uh, had a house together. But Keith Richards didn't really have a house. He's just pretty much stayed at uh, Brian and Anita's. And Marianne was just over there constantly. So it was sort of like the four of them always uh, doing hash, acid, just having a blast, living the the rock and roll life. Um, Just like dropping the kid off with the grandparents. Yeah. Savvy. Yeah. Rock and roll. Waits for no one. <laughs> exactly. Um, on one of these um, excursions, Marianne um, went to see the Stones play um, just outside of London. And she didn't have a place to stay. She didn't book the hotel or anything. She just went with them. And sort of because of this, or I should say first, they were playing with Tina Turner that oh, night. Oh, cool. Um, if you read her book, she has a great little story about Tina trying to teach Mick how to dance. It's pretty funny. Um, one of Tina Turner's backup dancers and Marianne were sort of hanging out in Mick's room, having that situation where it's like, which one's going to leave first? Which one's going to stay? I just talked about a standoff yeah. between uh, <laughs> Patti Smith and Cherry Vanilla with oh, yeah. Chris Christopherson. Yeah, yeah. So that was last last week's episode. And actually, I'm bringing back Cherry Vanilla for the next. Cherry is fantastic. For, for next episode with uh, Angie and, and, and Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. So actually, Cherry Vanilla shared mm-hmm. last week's episode. Cool. Thanks, girl. Sorry. It's all right. Anytime someone brings up Cherry is a good thing. <laughs> um, so... Marianne wins, of course. And from this one night stand, uh, the song Let's Spend the Night Together. No. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Oh, boom. And that's the name of Pamela's book mm-hmm. where she talks about all of them. Exactly. All of the ladies. Um, I mean, Marianne's not in that book, but no. um, um, quite a few of my uh, a lot. choices have yeah. come from reading that book. And I had no a lot idea. Of amazing ladies. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, Marianne still isn't really into Mick. The truth is she's in love with Keith Richards and they have what she calls the best night of her life. They spend a night together. It's just magical. It's fantastic. Um, but he just crushes her in the morning because he says, like, you know, Mick's not really a bad guy. Like, you should really give Mick a shot. Ooh. Yeah. So she's, like, heartbroken. But the truth is, as we all know, uh, Keith is in love with Anita Pallenberg. So 
uh, he's got his sights set elsewhere. And Marianne sort of just accepts this and is like, all right, I'll give, I'll give Mick a shot. Um, Mick is still with Chrissy, but once Marianne lets him know, um, I'm interested, let's give this a shot, he dumps Chrissy. Marianne moves in with Mick and her son. They move in with Mick um, while Chrissy is, like, moving out. Mm-hmm. They actually sort of cross paths. Chrissy's a pretty sad story. Um, she was also a muse to Mick, um, heartbreakingly so. You can find out all about their relationship in two songs, Under My Thumb and 19 ner- 19th Nervous Breakdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened. She had a nervous breakdown right after that. She was hospitalized. It was not the best scene for Chrissy. Um, But Mick and Marianne are falling in love now and everything's roses for them and they sort of forget about Chrissy. And so this is, are we still in the, are we in the late 60s at this point? No, they're still like 19... So it's like 66. Oh, okay. 67. So it's very early still. Mid-60s. Yeah. Okay, doke. Um, so they're together for a really like a while now. Um, things are wonderful. Uh, their son her son Nick is living with them. They're one happy family. And the yeah. next big sort of incident in their history happens um, with the infamous Rolling Stone drug bust. This one I do know about. Yes. So that's like the one thing that I know about Marion Faithful. No, is what was she wearing the f- during the infamous drug bust? Yes. So they were at a cottage. They'd gone out all day. Marianne's clothes were dirty. She took a bath. She's letting her clothes dry or something. And then the police raid them. She happens to be wearing a fur rug. A very large fur rug and naked underneath. And, of course, a huge deal is made about this. Um, And a terrible rock and roll folklore story um, where people start saying Mick and her were making love with a Mars bar. I've never heard that. Really? Doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. No, but in the 60s, and this is actually in print, it's not the best for one's reputation. Fair enough. Uh, And completely ludicrous, but unfortunately, it really did stick to her, and it's still a story that people, some people believe, others see it for the silliness it is. Anyway, this drug bus is really big. Um, The man, uh, Norman Pilcher, he is like the head of the drug squad and he has a vendetta against rock and rollers. He just wants to take rock down. He busts Mick and Keith in this, uh, Brian Jones soon after he also busted Donovan, John Lennon. He just really had it in for rock and rollers. Um, just jealous. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but it's a big deal at first. Like, they're facing jail time. Um, they really did think that they were going to go to jail. They went to court. 
they were um, demonized in the press. It wasn't until like just before the court case that people started to see it for what it was, which was like a total setup, ridiculous. And so the tide turned for them luckily and they were able to move on from it. Um, This man, Norman, he actually ended up um, doing his own jail time. Um, what he do? Well, he was caught like setting up. Oh, okay. Drug busts and stuff. So it makes a lot of sense once you find that out. It's, it's just smear campaigns, and uh, but yeah, they they managed to get through it. Um, it's around this time that Anita leaves Brian for Mick or for Keith, sorry. Um, Brian Jones beat Anita quite often. Mm. He was violent with her. So she's better off with Keith. Um, They are ostracizing Brian. They don't really want him in the band anymore. He's sort of like their punching bag for a while. Uh, So he's slowly exiting the scene. Um, so now it's the foursome between Mick and Marianne and Keith and Anita, and they're just having fun, traveling. Uh, Sounds good to me. Yeah, just having a wonderful time. Um, then um, Anita and Mick do a movie called Performance Together. This is like 1968. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I haven't. Really? Maybe that's oh, what I'll do tonight. It's wonderful. It's I'm going to watch it tonight. It's wonderful. Okay. Um, and Anita tends to get into her roles very deeply. She's in a lot of films. Um, Barbarella is another fantastic one. Um, her character in performance happens to be with Mick. And they end up having an affair on set. And so Keith and Marianne aren't anywhere near the set, but they know what's happening, but they don't want anything to do with it. Uh, It is a betrayal. They're both hurt, but accepting of it in the weird 60s kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. In the weird 60s, your band is blowing up. Yeah. It's it's painful, but it's happening. Yeah. And um, it's, I guess it's also around this time that Mick, and Marianne both start having affairs. They start that unhealthy thing where it's like, well, if you're doing it, I'm going to do it and I'm going to one up you and then I'm going to one up you. So the affairs are sort of getting out of control. But then Marianne gets pregnant again with Mick's baby. So she goes off to Ireland uh, while he's making performance. Um, Needless to say, they lost the baby. She had a miscarriage. Um, then Brian Jones passes away. So all these things start happening that are breaking down the fun. Did he get hit by a car or did he drown in the pool? He drowned. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were all really terrible to him in his last year. Uh, so between his death and the miscarriage and um 
the cheating and everything it's all piling up on Marianne she's pretty depressed at this time um they do that uh Hyde Park tribute to uh to Brian and then about a week later um Mick and Marianne had gotten parts in the movie Ned Kelly so they flew off to Australia to do this film but it Marianne was just so upset over the way everyone was treating Brian's death like it was just something that happened and something that you might as well just get over it type of thing that she ended up taking 152 and alls she uh went into a coma obviously um she almost died luckily Mick found her in time got her to the hospital um Apparently, when she came to, he said, I thought I'd lost you. And she said, wild horses couldn't drag me away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she starts to I, get better health-wise, at least. Um, Mick goes off for a tour. And it's around this time that Mick and Pamela DeBar have their affair okay um marianne sort of knows about it because when he came back from america he asked uh, marianne if she would try these ice cream flavor douches and so she, she was like clearly some woman in america uh got this idea in his head but she didn't know who was it pamela it was what that's, yeah, I thought I knew everything there was to know yeah. about Miss P. Um, it is Miss P. <laughs> you naughty girl. It is in Miss P's book, um, and that's how Marianne found out. How did I miss that? I don't know. It's in. Let's um, no. It's I don't in, think uh, she mentions. I'm with the band. I think so. Yes, and I don't think like Miss P mentions Marianne or anything. Uh, but it's it's when Marianne reads Miss P's book in the late '80s, early '90s that she puts two and two together and is like oh this is the woman he was sleeping with in america Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um so um at this point hash and acid start to become heroin for marianne she's doing drugs really heavily um it's pretty it's pretty bad for her um and i mean she's probably has that addictive personality yeah you know sometimes if oh man i would be i would be worried about myself if mm-hmm. i was like yeah like a little bit of hash all right a little bit of acid and okay it's, and it's then all of a sudden all you're you. with yeah mick yeah. jagger and keith richards and then yeah oh man and keith and anita were very heavily into the drug scene as well yeah and so they were all hanging out together so it was just always there um she also is very unhappy with the way her career is going. She's still doing music, pop music, um, and she's acting in plays and a few uh, film roles here and there, but they sort of marketed her as this beautiful, ethereal, English rose, this perfection kind of thing, and clearly that's really not who she is inside. So, Perfection is an illusion. Mm-hmm. So... She's pretty unhappy. Um, she 
Mick Jagger is strumming a guitar and doing his thing and Marianne starts to write lyrics and she ends up writing the lyrics for Sister Morphine. They record it um, uh, with her singing and it gets released as a record and she's finally happy about putting out something of herself. But like within a week, uh, her record company took it out of circulation and just was like, no, like this is not happening. So she's pretty crushed about that too. Um, and yeah, things aren't really, things are starting to get rocky in their relationship. Um, she never really toured with the stones. And one of the reasons for this is a situation that happens in Italy, I believe where she surprised Mick with a visit and apparently on this tour, um, there was really like violent energy, riots, and just not a good scene. And in her book, uh, she recounts a, a story where she surprises him and he came into the room and immediately started, walked up to her and just started slapping her and hitting her. And without speaking, and she like, Whoa. yeah, she ran to the bathroom. He followed her. He he beat her up quite bad. Mick. Yeah. Okay. And apparently, like after it happened, they they never spoke about it again. He was like never ever violent to her ever again. It, she says it was like he was possessed, and it like it was like it wasn't him. And they never ever discussed it ever again. So like she doesn't even really know why it happened patty boyd was never allowed to go on tour with the beatles the whole time that she was married to george harrison and in a relationship with him mm-hmm. she didn't go she wasn't on one tour with him no and i mean we all know why they were uh, lovely ladies in every other city and i guess the guys wanted to let loose and and they needed that illusion of singleness exactly um so yeah, um my friend Sam actually last week made a pretty funny point about the musicians who have the profile pictures with their girlfriends and wives in there. Mm-hmm. That's the that's today's indication of don't poke me. Yeah. <laughs> that, those were his words. Yeah, yeah. Usually otherwise otherwise, yeah. If they're m- if they're putting them out there then that's the sign, yeah. Don't come near me. Don't, uh, don't send me don't signals. Don't come around here no more. <laughs> um, so Marianne's like falling out of love with Mick at this point. Um, they're both unhappy about it, but they know what's happening. Um, there's this one sort of last grasp but hope where Mick comes in and is like, I want you to listen to something. Apparently he really talked about emotions through music, never actually sitting down and discussing feelings. Um, so they sat down on the floor and were cross-legged looking at each other in the eyes and he put on wild horses and they sat there like listening to it and both in tears crying because they sort of knew it was the end. Shit, what a song. Right? Um, I should also mention, just so you know, um, You Can't Always Get What You Want, while not totally about Marianne, is definitely, there's Marianne in that. 
and that's around the same time that this is all happening as well. Uh, so they finally break up. Um, Marianne is like a full blown heroin addict. Uh, she's shooting it. Um, she never really mentions if she is or not. I know at first she certainly wasn't, but I guess it'll, it'll eventually comes down to that. Yeah. I think it's safe to assume that it definitely did get to that point. I just saw a picture in uh, Angela Bowie's book. Um, you know, they have that section in the books with all the black Mm -hmm. and white photos and there's just one of Marianne Faithful just kind of like looking sleepy and she said, uh, she always got it together Mm -hmm. for her performances. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, no matter how strung out or whatever she was, she always pulled it together. Um, so yeah, they break up. She's unhappy with the pop career. Um, She's a junkie. She loses custody of her son, Nicholas, uh, who goes to live with his father again, John Dunbar, who happens to be dating Jean Shrimpton, Chrissy Shrimpton's sister. Oh, it's a small rock and roll world, isn't it? (laughs) Even in this day and age, it really is. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty funny, the connections that you can make. Yeah. (laughs) So... Marianne has no money, no home. She's homeless. She begins living on the street. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. Um, She finds this old uh, bomb site from, you know, the war, and she starts living on a wall, like literally living on a wall. Um, She does this for a while. Um, She tries rehab once. Uh, the nurse ends up punching her in the face, breaking her two front teeth because she smuggled in some heroin. And that was... I was like, why? Cause she was, <laughs> was she jealous that like she was Mick Jagger's girlfriend? No. No. Uh, that was some bizarre form of treatment, I guess. <laughs> uh, so that doesn't work out. She records another album with the missing teeth. It... It's garbage. She doesn't like it. It's still not what she wants to be doing. Um, She meets a man named Oliver Musker who uh, takes her to this doctor who uses this crazy form of reverse psychology on her where he's like, yeah, you're too much of a junkie. Like, you're not going to get clean. And she's like, well, I will show you. And she does get clean for a while. Um, She works in film, does plays. Um, Bowie asks her to perform with him in 1974. Okay. Um, they do... See, I haven't gotten to that part no. in Angela's book because I'm only around 1972 right now. I'm halfway through this book there. and I'm just about there. She'll definitely yeah. be, Interesting. be in it. Yeah. Um, they do a couple songs. Uh, they do I Got You, Babe. And Bowie asks Marianne to wear a nun's habit. So she's in a nun's costume. Bowie's in one of his fabulous get-ups. Um, it is on YouTube. I highly this suggest. Point, if Bowie tells you to do something, 1974 <laughs> Bowie, you're doing it. Okay. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so she is dating this guy, Oliver. He's sort of got a violent streak to him. He's moody. Um, they're not 
meant to be together, but he's sort of helping her get her life back together. Um, them two and David and Angie hang out a lot. Um, she talks about one night that they were all having dinner together and her and Bowie went off um, into a corridor and she uh, tried to give him a blowjob. And uh, apparently Bowie could not keep it up because he was so terrified of Oliver in the other room. <laughs> Even though, again, it's the 60s, 70s scene and like <laughs> it really did not matter, but it wasn't the greatest uh didn't really work out (laughs) but they remain friends and um it's that's a really important moment for her because um performing with Bowie and um you know getting a relationship with him inspires her to start writing her own material and realizing like if she wants to change her career it's up to her to do so sort of um Unfortunately, Oliver asks Marianne to marry him. She says no. Um, They break up. And she pretty much goes back to the wall and is a junkie again. No, don't go back to that wall, girl. Um, It's at that wall um, that she meets Bren Brearley, who ends up being her second husband. Um, this is 1976. Uh, he's also a junkie. Oh, okay. They start living in a squat together. Um, yeah, no electricity, no hot water, just bare minimum. They actually literally sing for their supper. They go around to houses and perform for food. It's, um, you're like classic junkie life here. Um, but both of them are musicians and they decide to form a band. Um, they tour together, but they realize they're not really meant to be in a band together. So they both separately form their own bands and another little rock and roll story. Um, Ben ends up in a band called Blood Poets and one, yeah, and one of the guys in that band would go on to marry Angie Bowie. Hey! Cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so she gets a brand together. And it's about this time that she comes across a song called Why'd You Do It? And she not, did not write this song. Okay. Um, but... The minute she hears it, she's like, this is this is my song. This is exactly what I want to be doing, what I want to be saying. Like, this song was meant for me. So she goes to the guy who wrote it, and he's like, I'm sorry. I want either Tina Turner or Mick Jagger to sing this song. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, this is my song. And she basically pleads with him until he she convinces him to give it to her. Uh, they record it. It becomes like a small hit. Um, that song's intense. It's I amazing. I hadn't heard it before yeah. until last night. So I played the first one and I was sitting in my kitchen and I had the speaker going. And then that song came on and I just heard my roommate from the other room go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's intense. It's like, it's a more intense uh, You Ought to Know 
by Alanis Morissette. No kidding. Yeah, people okay. tend to think about Alanis's song um, when thinking about uh, calling out a cheater, but um, Marianne beats her like so hard. Like that song, just you and you can feel it. You can hear in her voice that she means every word. Yeah, and there's no even, like, playing on words. There's no alluding. There's no, no suggesting. It is just plainly out there. Yes. Um, she says when she first sang the song to her band, um, which was all men, they they had, like, their jaws just dropped by the end of it. Like, couldn't believe that she was saying these words. And um, she got a real kick out of it. And... Um, it is personal to her. You do think that she wrote it. Apparently Mick Jagger thought that it was about him. Um, but actually all the feeling that she was putting out there was because Ben was also a cheater. And uh, so she was going through that at the time that she wrote it, but she was still with him. Um, they actually ended up getting married in 79. So it was like during this time that she recorded that song um and because that song became somewhat of a hit they were able to make a full record and that record was broken english okay that was sort of considered her like a masterpiece of hers three very important songs came out of that why'd you do it broken english and a song called the ballad of lucy jordan um she wrote the other two she didn't write why'd you do it but she wrote the other two uh, the Ballad of Lucy Jordan is sort of her story had she become that housewife that John Dunbar wanted her to be. It's a very interesting, lovely song. You should check that one out as well. Okay, I will. Um, so Whatever she, you say, links. <laughs> so she's 33 now. She's made um, Broken English. Um, and if you listen to uh, As Tears Go By and then um why'd you do it the tone of her voice is just so different like you wouldn't even assume it's the same person singing totally. those two songs and uh that was like only like 12 13 years apart but you can hear that she's lived like hard since that first song i did yeah. yeah yeah i did think like okay i'm curious to know what the hell happened <laughs> yeah what happened in those years the answer is heroin yeah <laughs> um something really magical happens um from this album broken english um bob dylan happens to come back into town so um apparently he sort of summoned her through mutual friends um Marianne is called to come she does not knowing that she's about to re-meet Bob Dylan um she enters her friend's apartment and there's Bob sitting there waiting for her and of course right away she's like oh my god the nerves and um he sits her down and he's like um I've never forgotten our encounter like I regretted it so much and apparently he, out of his wallet, he, like, pulls out a picture of her when she was, like, 17, 18, like, when they met. And he, and he, like, 
has this photograph of her. I've held on to this. I've yeah. carried it with me everywhere I went. Is she, so at this point after the drugs, the wall, mm-hmm. the all of these things, is she still beautiful? Or She's still beautiful, but she's still a junkie. Okay. Um, she, she does look, I would say she probably looks a little older than 33, but she's still got, you know, this sexiness to her and she still got it. <laughs> um, so her and Dylan are sitting down having some tea and um, he says, I heard broken English. Um, and I thought about our, our time together and our broken encounter. And she realizes he somehow read into broken English thinking it was about him somehow. And so Marianne is like, well, do you want to listen to my album? And he's like, yeah. So they end up having the exact same encounter that they had when she was 18 with his album. Nice. But she puts on hers and they listen to it over and over and over again. And um, she sits him down and explains every song, every lyric, just like he did his and um they just spend the whole night like that and um he says if ever you need me or if ever if only i could i'd write you that letter again right yeah (laughs) and so they have this lovely encounter and then they parted at dawn and that was it just no relations or anything just this beautiful moment spent together um it's also through broken english that she's able uh for the first time to tour the states um she goes over to new york she's asked to play saturday night live and the mud club the same night so this is a massive deal everyone knows how important saturday night live is um, she never, as Angie Bowie says, she never would take drugs before a performance. She knew she had to be there for that, um, you know, clean. So, um, but nerves got the better of her and she happened to ask a backup singer if they had any cocaine and they ended up giving her procaine, which freezes vocal cords what yeah um apparently this backup singer was not uh a friend (laughs) kind of jealous of marianne um purposely did this uh so she walks up to the mic no for snl yeah okay and this broken whisper shaky voice comes out and she is just crushed that's horrifying. Right? Um, she manages to get through the performance. She thinks it's just a disaster. Um, I should mention, Anita Pallenberg happens to be living in New York at this time. I'm pretty sure her and Keith are done. Um, so Anita's backstage and Marianne goes back to her, you know, just wanting to ball her eyes out. So upset. 
and Anita comes in. She's like, oh my God, that was amazing. Like you were fantastic. Yeah. Just being like a doll, a best friend, always supportive. And Marianne's like, no, I was like, it was awful. I, I'm supposed to go to the mud club now. Like I can't do this. And Anita was like, no, like you're going to the mud club. You're going to kick butt. You're going to become the punk diva. You were always meant to be like, this is your time. Like you go and do it. And so she. So then everybody thought that her performance was premeditated and that she meant to do that. Well, um, people thought drugs. People thought she was on drugs. Um, You could tell it wasn't meant to be like that but it was nowhere near as bad as she thought it was it just sort of came out as a sort of style maybe a little drugged out but a style nonetheless so no it didn't it didn't like ruin anything um and she kicked butt at the mud club and she decides to move to new york so her and ben um they, they go over to New York. She spends about five years there. Unfortunately, New York is an even worse place for a junkie to be than England. And she gets, like, real bad into the the drug scene there. Like, you thought it was bad before. Well, this is, like, oh, new honey. levels. She ends up, after a couple of years, finally getting the royalties from Broken English and just wastes it away on drugs and... Um, she starts this new kind of habit of sh- she would decide that she needed to get clean and go to Jamaica for like six months and then um, come back and then be okay for a tiny bit and then get back into it and then do that again. And just, it was it sort of became a habit. Um, her and Ben are rocky, of course. Um, he ends up cheating on her with a woman who uh, is married to or. Um, a record producer or something and this woman also wanted to be a singer she actually had the audacity to cover why'd you do it (laughs) she's like that's pretty ballsy um so they're about broken up ben ends up in some sort of drug scandal and gets deported anyway and marianne sort of takes that as a sign she doesn't go back with him she just sticks on uh, in New York so good for you girl yeah uh her and Anita are basically living the junkie life together in New York just still going hard rock and roll drugs um Marianne records another album but it's never released it's it's pretty bad um she her record company finds out just how bad she is on a visit to her squat. And they're like, this enough's enough. Like we're, we're getting you into a rehab. So thank God. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes to this rehab. Um, I think she's there for like eight months or something. Um, she meets a man there. Um, his name is Howard Toes, and they ended up, falling in love it's an unhealthy thing to fall in love at rehab with another junkie um i can imagine yeah i think that's frowned upon but they didn't let that stop them and uh so when they both left rehab they ended up um living together but 
after a few months, Marianne realizes I'm I'm never going to stay clean if I s- stick with this man because he was like even worse than she was and she she knew she couldn't help him like he belonged in a hospital so she finally got the courage to tell him um I'm gonna go back to England like I can't be, be here like you need to go to a hospital and he's like okay and um she's like all right I'm gonna make some tea so she goes to make some tea and he jumps out their 36-story no, window. I was going to say, what did he do? Yeah. Okay. 36 stories, he's dead. So that's, like, obviously a huge thing to deal with. And um, I guess maybe, like, a final wake-up call for her where she's like, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. This is... This is it before this happened she all she tried to commit suicide again as well um thankfully unsuccessfully um but yeah this was like she was finally at the point where life really did have to change um so she starts going to aa and um she married her third husband but that only lasted like a year and a half so it was like a quick marriage um, she ended up moving to Ireland, um, building an, an actual lovely home for herself. Um, she ended up writing her book, Faithful, and playing music and, you know, just living the life that she should be In living. A serene countryside. Exactly, with exactly. All of those sheep and Exactly. I've been I've been to Ireland. I had a great time. I loved it. Um but it's pretty relaxed there. Yeah. Sounds like a good place to heal. Yeah. Um so yeah, she finally got clean and um she continue to make albums and be in plays and uh lots of music um in the 90s her and anita uh, made a guest appearance on the tv show absolutely fabulous together um they played the god and the devil um who played who uh marianne was god and anita was the devil funny anita was sort of known is sort of known as like this black magic witch. <gasps> I can't wait for her episode. Yes. Okay. Um, she is fabulous. So yeah, she would always be the devil. Actually, um, in like the late eighties, I think um, Marianne, Anita, and Mick were denounced by the Vatican as like a coven. They sweet. <laughs> yeah. May I just say that the way that you're gripping the microphone stand right now is so sexy. <laughs> um, Damn. <laughs> okay. Rock and roll. Um, so, yeah. Um, Marianne has had it pretty good since. Um, she had a 15-year relationship with her manager. Uh, she had some health issues. She apparently had hepatitis C in the 90s, probably... As a result of, you know, being a junkie. 
oh yeah, something had to have come out of that, mm-hmm. you know, for to be able to walk away just totally fine, yeah. totally fine from years of Absolutely. heroin use and abuse. It would be incredible. But okay, so I guess like Hepsi isn't the worst thing no. that could ever happen. Yeah, considering um, all right, she's lucky. She happened to be a junkie like a little earlier mm-hmm. than. Um, what we all know happened in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, she also survived breast cancer in 2000s. Um, and she's been healthy ever since. And, and she's alive. She's alive. She's turning 70 on December 29th. Oh, man. Yeah. This month. Yes. Well, I mean, happy early 70th birthday. Yes. Holy shit. Um, and yeah, through her career... Um, she's worked with directors like Godard, Jack Cardiff, Gus Van Zandt, Sofia Coppola, and throughout all of her albums, she's released 22 records through her entire career. What? Yeah. And some of the amazing people she's worked with are like Steve Winwood, Keith Richards, Van Morrison, Tom Waits, Daniel Lenoy, Emmylou Harris, Roger Waters, Beck, Jarvis Cocker, Billy Corgan, Ryan Adams... Uh, PJ Harvey, Nick so Cave. she's respected as absolutely. As all. Yeah, everyone yeah. wants to work with her. She gets, uh, she gets everyone. I actually saw her perform here in Toronto about a decade ago at the Mod Club. Whoa! It was fantastic. She really has this magic presence on stage. Like you can't help but just be drawn in. Her voice is just so. Uh, compelling and powerful she was really something i still have the uh, set list i managed to get good it. for you <laughs> yes that's a good groupie yeah. you get in that set list it's part of my rock and roll memorabilia yeah oh fantastic yeah that was an incredible story that was exactly what i was hoping for but more <laughs> yeah she's had a. Uh, She's had a life worth uh, talking about. And I highly suggest everyone go read her book, Faithful. I've told you like the broad strokes, but it's the details that make the story. Absolutely. That's what I say in my episodes when I, especially the ones when I'm reading the full books, it's like, you've got to go and, 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 and read it yourself. Mm-hmm. Especially this one that I'm going to be doing now with, you know, Angela Bowie halfway through the book, I've got to post it on every second page and uh, you can only hit so much in an hour, but Absolutely. then just bringing it back again to these incredible women and the mark that they left on rock and roll history that often goes either just kind of get pushed to the side or mm-hmm. like I talked about in Michelle Overman's um, episode, literally pushed to the side so that they were out of the picture, but really not only did they contribute to these amazing songs, but then they were also doing these incredible things themselves. And a lot of them had uh, pretty rocky roads and a lot of them, I mean, some of them didn't, but one thing that they all have in common is that they're incredible. And I'm happy to be able to have this opportunity to tell these stories. Yeah, this is fantastic. These women all deserve to have their stories told um, more than just through a song or you know, through a memo, you know, some sentence in some rock gods book. Exactly. Yeah. They're all fantastic. And a lot of muses and groupies, um, sort of like you were saying, like they don't get 
well, the credit that they deserve. And also a lot of them sort of have rocky roads after the fact, unless they have an outlet for their own creativity. Um, Patty Boyd is a good example. Like she inspired so much, but then when she uh, separated from them, it was like, where do I go now? I don't really have anything, you know? Mm -hmm, Because they were essentially giving her an allowance to be Mm -hmm. their wives and because they didn't want her to work either. George and... um, Eric, Eric didn't, yeah. didn't want her working and modeling and stuff. So it was essentially like stay home. Yeah. And then when they weren't together anymore, they were like, oh, I guess she was like. Yeah. What about me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know B.B. Buell had said in her book, you know, Elvis took everything from me. Elvis mm-hmm. Costello. He mm-hmm. talked about the mascara that I used, the clothes that I wore. And she was like, where are my royalties? Exactly. Yeah. Um, unless your name is on that uh that publishing rights you're not going to see a penny oh i should mention um when sticky fingers came out and the stones covered sister morphine they did not put marianne on as a a co-writer they took her name off of it but they did why'd you do that right (laughs) (laughs) exactly um they did give her one third of the royalties for that though so they sort of did right by her but they still, uh, if you look it up, it says like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards wrote it. Damn. Yeah. Sort of a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what like a lot of these women, like those songs wouldn't exist without their inspiration, but they don't uh, profit from it at all, you know? And that's that's pretty rough and unless you yourself are a musician or a writer in like Pamela, you know, she had her books and she ended up using them as her muse. Exactly. Sort of that reverse then. Mm -hmm. And so now like, you know, there's this thing online where, you know, Pamela was with Catherine James and she was with Miss Mercy and Michael Debar was just like, got to pay attention to these women because they paved the way for, um, you know, very early feminists and they were doing what they wanted to do. And, um, and then Pamela was just at this thing for Graham Parsons because it was mm-hmm. just uh, like the anniversary, anniversary of yeah. his of his birthday, and they were telling stories about how uh, Chris Hillman wanted to play something on the GTO's records that he wanted to play. Even the tambourine and Frank Zappa kept saying no, no. <laughs> um, so some of the greatest stories come from these women, and mm-hmm. they were all really respected. There was a reason why people wanted to hang out with them. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And I think that this word groupie just got tarnished at some point where where people just started associating it with um just like sex people just think and only and sex se- yeah. and, and not that there's anything wrong with sex but no. then you know stuff and i keep saying like i've and i've got to explore this a little bit further with things happening in the 80s and you it know, the did bands, get like, a little things got a bit yeah gross it was um, like at that time where it started turning into something uh seemingly vulgar um and then people started you know, looking down on women who have every right to do whatever. That's why I love Cherry Vanilla as well. She, she loved sex. She loved rock and roll. She was her own woman and she did not care what anybody thought of her. She was going to do what she wanted to do and screw anyone who, you know, tries to tell her otherwise. She really owned, owned it. And so do all these other women. Pamela is another great example. And, it's fantastic to see women in any 
in any way like own who they are past just being a groupie like just whatever you love like own it exactly wonderful I think that that's a perfect place to to end um what a wonderful episode thank you so much for coming thank you so much this has been fantastic it really means a lot please have me back back. and um anytime wonderful well i've got a little photo shoot to get ready for but before we go i'll just say if you could take a moment to rate subscribe and review on itunes it would mean a lot you know this is as independent as independent can get in terms of podcasts and so if you do like the show and if you are tuning in it would mean a lot if you went and left um Uh, rating and reviews so that other people who would be interested in hearing these stories and who love music and maybe haven't necessarily heard the side of rock and roll can get to the stories as well i really appreciate that come support and thanks for listening that's right and you can find me on facebook and instagram at muses and stuff podcast and if you have a muses or groupie story of your own whatever it may be send me an email muses and stuff at gmail.com awesome thank you so much links thank you and uh We'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But what Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.